This is the fear of science. They were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Hello, and welcome to The Fear of Science, the podcast that dives into the wide world of science and science-adjacent topics to demystify, debunk, and delight. Each show features a new fear, along with special guests, surprises, and discoveries along the way. My name is Daniel Chai. And I'm Jeff Porter. And today, uh, you are most likely listening to this through uh, some kind of electronic computer device, perhaps a smartphone. Uh, So uh, you are already tied into what today's episode is, which is... The fear of artificial intelligence. Fear of AI. Uh, The future is now. Now, uh, (laughs) luckily, joining us now in our virtual studio, we have two wonderful guests to uh, explore this topic, the topic of AI. Uh, joining us, we have a Canadian stand-up comedian whose 2019 comedy album, A Little Bit of Buttle, won the Juno Award for Comedy Album of the Year at the Juno Awards in 2020. She is currently a television writer for This Hour, has 22 minutes. She was a semifinalist in the 2018 edition of SiriusXM, Canada's Canada's Top Comic Competition, and is the host of one of our favorite podcasts, Obsessed. Please welcome Sophie Buttle. Having me again. Glad to have you back. And also joining us in our virtual studio, he is an artist, best-selling author, entrepreneur, and keynote speaker. As a musician, he has sold more than 1.4 million albums, toured all over the world, and has had number one singles singing in English, French, and Thai. When not making music, he is equally as passionate about his other life as the founder and creative director of Reimagine AI, an artificial intelligence creative studio. Please welcome David Usher. Hey guys. Yay. If only we have only we have the AI to, That's to right. uh, have some kind of applause. The cheering yeah, in, and the laugh track. Yeah, in post I'll add uh, I'll add some clapping like we're on an audience. Can I get an air horn sound after mine? Sure. Oh yeah, no problem. I got that queued up. <laughs> now uh, very glad to have you both here, David and Sophie. But my first question, as always, I'd like to check in with Jeff. Now, Jeff, uh, me and you, we we get to uh, pitch ideas to each other about different Fear of Science episodes, and this episode was one of yours. Uh, what uh, what drew you to to uh, wanting to explore AI uh, and possibly some of the fear around it? Yeah, actually, so AI's uh, been one of the ideas we've had from the very beginning of the show, and episode two we talked about fear of robots. And in that, we actually tried to eliminate as much talk about AI as possible and tried to separate the two because I, I wanted to do this episode. Um, and then it's just been a lot of like trying to find the right people for the show um, for guests and and getting off the ground. And uh, so I'm so excited to finally be able to talk about this one. I'm glad, I'm glad. Now, uh, uh, for for our two guests now, uh, uh, of course, Jeff, uh, at the start of each episode, we, we like to uh, check in with our, our guests about uh, uh, the fear. Would you like to get us started? Yeah. So the main question we always ask is, uh, why are people afraid of artificial intelligence? So maybe let's, uh, let's start with Sophie first, the yeah. non-expert. Yeah, perfect. Well, I think that people are usually just scared of something number one they don't understand and number two their fear of losing something so obviously there's been a lot of talk about how people's jobs are going to be replaced and people say by robots but what they mean is artificial intelligence most of the time except for i guess like factories and stuff but i think ai is going to replace a lot of jobs but hopefully you know it'll also create jobs and Maybe if everything is run by AI, nobody will have to work at all and we can just chill and make art and stuff. Like I, I think the fear <laughs> is true. Like I think that a lot of jobs will be gone, but I think that it's a good thing. Um, now, uh, uh, of course, then there, then the, it leads into the fear of, 
what happens when there's uh, AI that can create beautiful art? What then? I know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have seen the, the AI memes that have been going around, but they're super crazy. Like for, for comedy, it's it seems like one of the few things that AI really has not mastered yet. So I feel like my job is kind of safe. But there are some AIs that make pretty good music. I don't know. You've safe for now. Yeah. I mean, an AI is not going to take my $100 a show gigs at Yuck Yucks. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> right. Now, uh, uh, and same question for, for you, David. Now, David, you are, uh, as mentioned, the founder, creative director of Reimagine AI. Um, when you uh, when you first talk to people about your work, do you find do, do you have some people being a little hesitant or a little like, oh, AI, that's it's almost a little spooky or a little bit unknown? Yeah, it's, I mean, AI is a very big topic. It's a it's a large topic and it's really dense. It's hard to understand. Um, and usually in the media um, and uh, generally the media and from the academics, we hear when they're when they're in the media, we hear a lot about AGI artificial general intelligence, and that is artificial intelligence that can think and work like humans can at a high level across many different verticals. And that's sort of the Hollywood version of artificial intelligence. When uh, an AI is going to be as smart as a person and be able to take your job, sit at your desk and, you know, basically be the brain of the robot. But mm. what we also talk about um, is what, what, I, what we call narrow AI, which is the idea of these narrow slivers of artificial intelligence that you know, can do some simple, tiny little task that a human was doing, but can learn to do it better than a human. And once the AI learns to do that one sliver of a task better than a human, it will always do it better than every human everywhere. You know, it, it's mm. almost like it takes a tiny piece of that job, but it takes it away from every human universally forever. Right. And the thing about narrow AI is narrow AI, that, that's the, so that's the difference between the, the brain, the AGI, which is the artificial general intelligence, which, which is the brain of the humanoid robot versus narrow AI, which is the brain of the factory robot, right? Right. So right. the factory robot is using narrow AI to identify pieces, to sort pieces faster than a human, better than a human, and always improving. So the narrow AI is going to replace jobs much faster than AGI, which is the humanoid Version. Right. So, so uh, narrow AI will take your job where general AI will rule the world. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. AGI huh. will rule narrow AI is kind of the way it works. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not scared anymore then. No, no, no. Don't be, don't be scared. Nothing to be scared there. David, many of our, our listeners here in Canada and around the world will know you from your, your extensive uh, acclaimed musical career. Um, your your uh, work with Moist, your your uh, solo career as well. Um, so uh, many people know you as as an artist, and uh, but you know to hear you talk about your work in AI is also very fascinating because uh, uh, it's like another aspect of of someone that I thought I would know as a as a Canadian, you know, and an artist. Uh, what happened? Uh, uh, what inspired you to to explore? Uh, to get into this field of AI and become the founder and creative director of Reimagine AI? It's, it's been a bit of a long journey. I mean, um, I, it, was, it was right after Twitter launched and we were watching, you know, when Napster came about, we were really watching the, the you know, all the, that, that, that digital explosion that happened. And we were watching the curve of the music business in sales going, you know, falling into the sea. And we were watching the, the, the curve of digital um, and the internet just rising. And I got very interested in why these two paths were crossing. And that really led me down the the rabbit hole of um, social media. And, uh, you know, I ran a social media aggregation startup uh, way back when um, for a long time and for about five years. And um, I've been sort of a secret geek for a long, long time with, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in tech, dealing with technology. Um, and I, was, I do a lot of uh, speaking about creative and innovation to a lot of different companies, a lot of tech companies. Um, that's also what I've been doing for many, many years. 
And uh, if you want to talk about innovation and change in the workplace, but also in, in um, you know, the social environment as a whole, you really have to be able to talk about artificial intelligence because that is the next big revolutionary change that's going to, you know, completely shift how we work and how we live. You can't really talk about change in the future if you can't talk about AI. So that led me down a path of saying, okay, if I want to talk about AI, I should probably know more than some talking head that's read a book. So I should probably dive into it. And I started looking for avenues where I could uh, could start to play with all the technology of AI. And that led me to this this company that we're doing now. I find it so amazing to meet somebody that's very creative that is also capable in business and business minded because it feels like it's usually mutually exclusive so to like have someone that's you know excelling in the arts but then also noticing where there is money and where there i mean there's never a ton of money in the arts but i think that that's very rare in people don't you find well you know i i uh I wrote, a, I wrote a book that was about creativity in the creative process, and it was through the writing of that book and all the speaking that I do that I, I really did an analysis of my own creative process and what, what the creative process looks like to me. And as I was doing it, I, I realized that the creative process that I use in the arts and the creative process that I use in technology or business are all, it's all the same process. Mm -hmm. It's just the metrics are different. The way we measure is different, but the way we put together teams, the way we build things and the way we go through the process, all the roadblocks, all the tragedy, it, it's kind of the same. It's the same process. It, and, and that's, that's really the, the, the main thing is that I find it's exactly the same process when I'm making a piece of music or an album as when I'm working with a, with on a piece of tech, um, mm -hmm. it's just that the players are different. You know, instead of using working with uh, a, a band of musicians and a bunch of, you know, agents and managers, I'm working with, um, you know, tech producers and uh, programmers, and yeah, well, and riggers and all those kind of things. And I think that's what what is really missing from technology as well um, in a lot of the field is that you don't have that creativity. And, uh, and that's what's really interesting about Reimagine AI too, is that you're, you're looking at it at the technology in a creative way, rather than just a logical way, which I find fascinating. Well, we're really looking, we're really looking uh, at the engagement piece, you know, mm. that interface, it's really about the interface between uh, the human and artificial intelligence. So what we really do as a company is we have a platform that stitches together all kinds of different AI technologies from uh, natural language processing, you know, in chatbots, uh, speech to text, text to speech, object recognition, facial recognition, uh, voice synthesis, all these kind of things. And then we have this really large conversation cloud underneath it all. And then we build visualizations on top. Right. And, uh, and for our listeners who are, uh, who are, who were wondering, oh, what is the name of that book that uh, David was mentioning? That is Let the Elephants Run. Yes. Unlock your creativity and change everything. Thanks that for is. mentioning. Now for uh, Sophie, uh, at the earlier on in our episode, you were mentioning about how uh, your, your hope, and I share this hope as well, that, you know, one day if AI can get to the point where uh, it can help, you know, run the world and then people can, uh, you know, focus their energies on, on what, you know, really matters, you know, as we are recording this uh, at the time of recording, depending on when you listeners are listening, uh, congratulations, you made it. Or uh, I hope you have enough toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Sophie, what is your, uh, uh, if you were, uh, um, what, do you think that the world could benefit from uh, from having the AI get to the point where David is talking about? What do you foresee uh, for creatives and for people uh, engaging and uh, uh, absorbing that creativity as well? Yeah, well, I think that it would it would give the same benefits as something like I'm a big proponent of um, universal basic income, and I think that giving people that and giving people time and giving even just like a slightly longer weekend, I think would be greater for the well-being of everybody. Like in Europe, you know, they work two days a week or something like that. And everyone seems fine before Corona, obviously that really all of my stereotypes about Europe have really fallen apart. But I think that <laughs> the more time people have, the, the happier they'll be because, you know, you get to spend more time with your family or friends or spend more time alone 
And I think, I think having free time and free money and just a little bit of flexibility makes such a huge difference to, to literally everybody and especially lower income people because they have dreams too and they have, they have stuff they want to do as well. And it just always ends up being people that have that bit of extra time or extra money. They get to do things and pursue happiness. Whereas I think everyone should be able to do that. And I think that if as a society, we get to a point where technology is doing a lot of basic jobs, I imagine that would help poverty in some way. And I don't know why I think that I have no connection. Now, uh, thank you, Sophie. And I, you know, uh, I think that, you know, something that you mentioned uh, sparked something in my brain that I think it's also a matter of who who is in control of the AI. Um, oh, and- we're getting into fear of robots territory again. That was <laughs> at the end of fear of robots that we came we came up with. Uh, we're not afraid of robots. We're afraid of the people who control the robots. <laughs> To be fair, that's the that's the same for almost any of our fears. Uh, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, uh, uh, so yeah, with because um, you know, David, you are much more in this world than than I am. Uh, what is uh, is AI being made with you know for to be open source? Are there some companies or countries? Um, go- is there a governing body for artificial intelligence? How does it work? You know, it, it, AI right now is completely the Wild West. There's really no control going on. There are a couple of companies that are trying to, you know, a couple of foundations trying to put in place some sort of regulations, but it really is like the Wild West. And if you have, you, you know, it, it's software that is just being released into the world for people to do whatever they want with. Uh, a lot of governments are doing a lot of things with AI. Uh, there's a lot of surveillance stuff going with AI. There's a lot of good things that they're doing as well. I mean, if you look at if you look at things like the vaccine stuff that's been going on uh, for COVID, a lot of that has been AI based. That's been able to speed these processes up, um, and there are a lot of positive things that can come out of it. But like any technology, um, it really is going to be who who controls the tech, how I they. Knew use it. I knew it. it really is. <laughs> and you know, as far as robots go, there's no robot without AI. Really, it is all. Yeah, AI. yeah, that's it true. It does. It does seem like all of the internet is the wild west. Like I don't know if you guys watched. I think it was last week or two weeks ago that the Senate hearing with like with Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos and uh, the guy from Twitter and somebody else, Google, Google yeah. maybe, yeah. Yeah. But it just like they're all being regulated under these rules that are from like the founding fathers who obviously could not have foreseen the scope of the Internet. And they're trying right. to apply these law. It makes no sense. That's a really good point. Uh, I do remember, um, you know, it seems like, you know, up here in Canada, uh, depending on when you're where you're listening to this, uh, really a lot of the world's media um tends to be U.S. focused. So so when we talk about Congress hearings about technology and all of these people going to uh, the Hill, you know, we, we are aware of that. Should should there be controls on on what people create? Uh, should there be limits to to people's, you know, AI creativity or or, you know, or how they distribute it? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, if you look at what's, what's happened with social, the, the, this great social media experiment that we've just put ourselves through, you know, that's gone on unregulated and it is essentially, essentially a dumpster fire rage machine mm-hmm. that is, it has, is undermining, you know, our common sense. Right. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's everybody, people, all people talk about is being worried about identity theft and worried about everyone getting your data, but people just give it up. People, you give it up all day long. Yeah. And so so imagine what's going I mean, AI is exactly the same thing. We're basically, are we willing to do this mass experiment without any regulation? And it's very difficult to regulate. I mean, if you look at the people on the Hill and you look at, you know, the, the, the people that are asking the questions in government don't know enough about what questions to ask even. Oh, yeah. Well, they're. There was a hearing, there was a hearing before for social media and they were asking that like the kind of, because it's all these old people. And so they're asking yeah. these questions that like your grandparents would ask. They're like, Mark Zuckerberg is there and the senators are asking like, okay, so if I Facebook your wall, then do you have my address? <laughs> and he's like, I don't even, I don't know how to answer your question. And they're like, mm, yeah. very fishy. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's when the smoke started coming out of his head and we realized he was a robot at that Well, time. every young, exactly. everybody under 50 is watching that. Like, what do you mean? Like, it's like, of course it's not being regulated if those are the people in charge. That's why we need more young people in politics. Yeah, it's very true. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, David, you know, uh, you know, we're, as we're talking about uh, uh, a lot of the, like, you know, heavier side, the, the fear side of AI, you know, I, I want to... Uh, uh, talk a bit more about, you know, some of the creative things that can be done with AI, which of sure. course you are doing with Reimagine AI. So for for our listeners, uh, what is Reimagine AI? And if I may say, you have a it's a very beautiful website. Thank you. <laughs> um, we basically we um, we build uh, beings that can talk to you. And we live more on the more. We're really a creative studio, so we live more on the gaming side than on the full AI side. But we integrate all sorts of AI technologies into our stack. So we build characters and essentially that can talk to you. So we can we can make human beings talk to you. We can make uh, animals talk to you. You you can have full conversations. They can recognize you by name. All all sorts of different capabilities. You can they can see you. They can recognize objects all kinds of different things using different AI tech. That's amazing. Um, yeah. So, I mean, we can bring people back from the dead, uh, all, all sorts of things. What? I, I, well, I mean, yeah. It's like the Black Mirror episode. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a little, it's a little like Black Mirror. I mean, we live on the, we definitely try to live on the, on the, the, the lighter side of that, but, uh, but, but there's a lot of capabilities of what you can do these days. And what you yeah. I remember when I was like 13, there was this website that came out that was like you could you could talk to it, and it was it was AI, and me and my friends would just be like, "F you," and it would be like, "That's not very nice," and we were like, "Technology is amazing. We live in the future." Like I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? It, it's just going to get it from here. We're at this place where we're at a tipping point where it's it's. You know, right now everything is kind of like uh, being tinkered with. It's it's being stuck together, but we're really close to a tipping point when everything is about to improve exponentially. There's new things um, um, out of Elon Musk's AI Foundation, um, uh, GPT-3, which is a, a another sort of natural language engine that is going to. You know, you were asking about jokes and things like that. I think this kind of technology is going to really flip the switch. I mean, I did a, I did, um, a project with uh, some friends at Google uh, Brain in Montreal, where we were doing, um, we were building an AI agent that could uh, collaborate with songwriters to write lyrics. And at that time, you know, we were stacking a lot of different, um, a, a lot of different layers of uh, understanding together, you'd say it learns, it learns English, it learns uh, song lyrics, it learns turn of phrase, it learns rhyming, those kind of things all stacked together. And it still, at that point, wasn't very smart. You know, after mm. all of that, it still wasn't that smart. But you could you can see in it that we're about to hit that place where it's like it goes from eh to holy shit. So uh, how far away do you think we are from AGI and how far away are we from what was it? N A A N I? Uh, there's narrow AI and there's AGI, which is artificial general intelligence. Narrow AI, we're already there. There's narrow AI being implemented all kinds of places. Anytime right. you see a, anytime you see a robot on a line doing something, anytime you know your your um, smart thermometer is doing something, it's using some sort of AI. Right. Um, all these things are AI is every. It's integrated in all kinds of different things. Um, now, but we're we're about to hit the place where AI is going to be able to really write. Right. You know? Um, I don't know if you guys w watch the podcast Pivot, but they were they were they were talking. Uh, she's a, what's her last name? Swisher. She's a, she writes for the New York Times as well, and she did a she did a, um, a an experiment with uh, GPT three where she wrote the first two paragraphs and it wrote the rest. Oh and yeah, it was fantastic! Wow, like wow. those kind of things where you're like, okay, these are like uh, these are like um, high level changes. We're not it's not AGI because it has no it still doesn't understand context and memory in any real way. So it's not, there's no sort of consciousness there, but it can, it can, you know, it can do great extrapolations on what came before. But do you think it's close to being conscious? Because I, I feel like we don't even really know what consciousness is in, in us. So how can we teach that besides 
giving it an algorithm or just feeding it a bunch of stuff? I don't, I don't worry about, about whether it's conscious or not. I think of, I think of it as a, uh, you, if you, if you put, put it on a, uh, a continuum and uh, at the one end, what, what we're doing really are smart puppets, right? They're integrating all the stuff. It can talk to you. It can see you. It can understand you. It's really a smart puppet. But as you move it along the path and you start adding different technologies to it, there's going to come a point, and it's not yet, but there's going to come a point um, in the next few years where the user is not going to know. It's not talking to something that's intelligent. And when it crosses that place, then, it, then I'm not sure that conscious or not conscious means anything to the human. Mm-hmm. There might right. be some sort of analysis we could do and some other kind of advanced Turing test we could do on it to, to really determine if it was conscious. But for most users, they're just going to have a great conversation. Yeah. But do you do you ever think about the, and this isn't something that I'm particularly passionate about, but do you ever think of the almost humanitarian side of it, like in the movie Her, where like if if the AI thinks that it's conscious, should we be treating it kindly? Like, if anybody thinks that it's conscious, that makes it conscious enough that we should treat it like it is. No. Yeah, no. There's a lot of that. We had a we had a um, uh, an AI uh, being at the Phi Center here in Montreal, and then at the Canada Science and Technology Museum. Um, and what we were finding is that some people are quite are very very nice to the AI. They're very patient. They're very understanding. And some are just plain mean. They're yeah. just mean, you know, they're mean to machines. There is this yeah. mean to machine thing. And, uh, and, you know, we read all the logs. So some of it's quite shocking. You're kind of like, wow, you're being so mean to the thing I made. This thing that came out about, I, I think about the same program that my friends and I were using when we were 13 is that it was learning from people talking to it. And I think that it said that it, they kept having to reset it because it would take like 24 hours for this thing to just only know bad words and racist things. And like, because that's what <laughs> oh, people yeah. kept saying to it. Truly. Absolutely. So it's like, how are we supposed, I mean, and that's another thing that I wanted to talk about is because so much of it, because of so much of AI is us feeding it a bunch of stuff for it to learn in the same way in science. Like there's a lot of things that it's going to take as fact that is, being affected by human biases. So absolutely, it's going to learn to be a uh, uh, flat flat Earth anti vaxxer <laughs> Oh God, no! <laughs> oh, no. Absolutely, <laughs> no. If you release it on the internet, that's what it's going to be for. Uh, well, yeah, exactly. It's got to have so, a filter to filter that out. <laughs> but I do wonder. I do wonder what what bias that none of us even think is a bias yet is going to affect AI because, like, there's one thing in the um, in the surveillance stuff in the states that they're now very close to using it seems like the same the same kind that they use in china that they've already noticed is really bad at recognizing black faces but very good at recognizing and distinguishing white faces because Mm -hmm. that's mostly what they fed it so there's a lot already of black people that are being arrested because the the computer got it wrong and I was just listening to the the New York Times podcast, The Daily, and they the interviewed. Daily, I heard that, yeah. Yeah, and they interviewed this one guy. That's the first time on record the police, you know, arrested this guy that had been picked out by the AI as being guilty. And then they can see, like, after they had arrested him, they could see that it wasn't him. And he was like, "Well, that's not me." And then the police officer said on record, "Oh, the computer got it wrong." And that's the first time that's been on record but i'm sure it's not the first time that it's happened and of all course. i can and then it also is like like i heard that google and facebook and like all of the big american tech people said that the one thing that they won't really touch is facial recognition technology because of stuff like this and because it's so dangerous and especially with the current government in the states it just seems like it's not going to be handled very well yeah, it, you're absolutely right. Like, and I was doing a bunch of research um, on it as well. And um, AI bias is is massive. Like, even if you had an AI that learned just our history, um, is that AI going to look and be like, hey, white men have been doing great throughout history. How about we continue on with that thought logic and then continue well, yeah. on that way? And, the, and AI is so literal. It, like, you would be like, I saw this one example mm-hmm. of like, okay, we need to figure out how to, um, there's like all these hungry people in the world. We don't want hungry people. 
And then so the AI would just kill everybody that's hungry and then it's like problem solved. And, you know, that is the kind yeah, of solution yeah. that it would come up. I mean, I obviously am not aware of the cutting edge stuff, but that's the stuff that I think is you could see why people would be afraid of that. But there, I mean, there's I mean, not not to, to live on the fear side of this, but there's much there's much more. That's that's quite those kind of examples are a little far away in terms of you need AI. Mm -hmm. You need AI to be in control for those things. Mm -hmm. What's right. much closer is the idea. If you think about it, you know, we're all worried about well, we're not all worried, but there's a, there is concern about TikTok having huge amounts of data because it's controlled by Chinese servers. Mm -hmm. Well, Ch China has been putting out these surveillance systems all over the world. Um, giving them to countries, installing them all, you know, uh, all in many different countries, installing surveillance systems because they've got great surveillance technology um, for facial recognition. Um, so think about the amount of data that's being stored in Chinese servers for those kind of things. Those are real, those are real things. I mean, and, you know, even the U.S. police, maybe, I don't know about the Canadian police, were using, there was a, there was a facial recognition company out of Australia or is, um, huge amounts of data, very, very good facial recognition, and many police departments are using that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then you get into the conversation of like, are you talking artificial intelligence? Or are you talking machine learning as well? Because machine learning is like a whole other conversation. Yeah. But also yeah. just about about collecting data, like, like Cambridge Analytica, when when that the whole thing broke. I don't know if that's an American company or a British company, but they said that they had 5,000 data points about each American. And it's like, I don't even know if I know 5,000 things about myself. You know what I mean? Like the things that they're collecting about, <laughs> about us is so vast. It's like, they know, oh, I, and I just saw this, this thing. Um, someone was interviewing this woman, um, and she had got, she had bought her data from Tinder or some dating app and they had on record, like they know when she's lonely. So on things like holidays and there was like one New Year's Eve where they had this record that she had messaged like 17 different guys, the same thing. And like, those are the little things that you don't even think about people knowing, especially because you block it out because you're ashamed or, or whatever. But now this company mm. knows about her that on holidays or when she gets drunk or something, she's she's going to get horny or lonely or whatever. So it's yeah. like, it just seems like the stuff that, I mean, this is, I know not the subject of the yeah. podcast, but it's pretty interesting, I think. But but it actually is because the, the, the mass amounts of data is what you need for AI to be effective, right? right. So th this, this data dump that we've given to all these big companies, if you imagine that we've been, there's this massive data dump and then you use AI algorithms to, 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 to run that data. So if you, if you visualize that we have lived in a, in a world of search, right? We go out and we look for what we want. And now we've given all this data over. Well, now we're starting to see the world of predictive, right? Where it's mm -hmm. where where now Amazon predicts what we're going to want in our cart, and we're getting predictive advertising, right, of what we will want. And but the next step of this is persuasive, right? And that's what right. Cambridge Analytica was, where they use AI to, to to hunt the data to persuade the user because they they start to if you have enough data points about a user, you can pretty much understand how they're going to react to a piece of media. And if you can predict how they're going to react to a piece of media, you can use the media that's effective to push them to do the thing that you want them to do. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, it, another example would be uh, like Netflix. Netflix is predictive techn uh, technology being like, ah, you finished watching this movie. You will probably want to watch this movie. Uh, or with YouTube algorithms, uh, you know, Spotify. I like it though. I like. I mean, I like it too. Well, yeah, I'm a big there have fan been of times, predictive, actually. There have been times that I've like deleted all my history and cookies and stuff, and then I get these ads for things that I'm not interested in, and I'm like, "Why are you wasting my time?" Like, there was this one time. There's this one time I was scrolling and I saw this article that was like, um, biracial, bisexual woman who is a jazz singer who killed Nazis. And I was like, you had me at the first word. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like there was something that was just like chef's kiss, like so perfect for me. And I was like, this is what I want every day. This is what I want, want every ad to be. And if we could get to a place where every, you know, product ad on Instagram is something that I want, then that's good. I want that. 
Yeah, I actually kind of agree with you on that. <laughs> I, I guess it's that there are sort of there are there's a whole other level to this though, right? There's a whole other yeah. level, the next what they're going to push us to do, how they're going to affect our politics, the way we vote, the way we live, you know. Yeah, one day we'll wake up and they'll be like, "Wow, I really do own a lot of IKEA products." That's right. <laughs> That's right. But I think that a solution to that is just teaching critical thinking in schools because that doesn't seem like something that is really taught. And even the most critical thinkers, I'm sure, still buy stuff that's advertised to them that seems appealing. But I think it'll affect us less the the more we invest in education. For sure, yeah. but, but I think this lives beyond beyond. Uh, you know, I, I think the ability for them to to sculpt messages lives beyond simple advertising. I think there's all sorts of ways that 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 we don't even know about. How, like that's the thing about this technology. We don't really understand how it can be used or what all the data can be used for right now. Yeah. We've given it away. It's out there. And now it's being, it's being basically experimented on by we don't know who, well, we don't know why, and we don't know. They don't even know why often, I think. Um, but it's being experimented on. We're going to see how it turns out. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, uh, Sophie, I want to bring back to a point that you talked about a little bit earlier about the the person who was who was lonely and um, and how it was figured out uh, and how the AI was able to predict when she would be lonely, mm-hmm. some of that. Uh, now, I you know, as you know, I've read an article recently that said that loneliness is is in its own way. Not it's an epidemic in its own way, not quite COVID, mm-hmm. but you know, loneliness is absolutely a, a thing that well, yeah, and I people feel. Yeah, not to interrupt you, but I think I see where you're going with this, and that AI, I think, is the solution to a lot of loneliness, like especially absolutely. like like the elderly, and like there's a reason that YouTube is so big. It's because people are spending more time alone, and they want to feel like they're with somebody. And the internet mm-hmm. is the best way to do that. And, if, and like, even, even me, like if I'm alone and I'm eating lunch or something, I'll put on a YouTube video and then you don't consciously think like, oh, I'm having lunch with my friend now. Cause that'd be sad. But you know, sometimes you think it a little bit and like for, for like elderly people or, or, you know, anybody, anybody that could use more people around, I think that AI is the solution to their loneliness because if there can be Absolutely. somebody programmed to just listen to them go off all day about their same goddamn stories over and over again, that's great. Like I'll still <laughs> pop in and visit my grandparents. I'm not a, I'm not an ass, but you know, I think it'll be nice for that. Well, and there's actually um, in Japan, there's a um, a lot of people that are using artificial technology uh, for relationships <gasps> um, now. Yeah, I saw that the, the little machine that like you come home and it's like. Hi, baby. And you're like, hey. Yeah. And there's even apps. I actually installed the app. There's an app called Replica. Um, yeah, I have which, Replica, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so you have a choice between whether you want it to, to be your friend or whether you want a romantic uh, interest or romantic partner in it. Why um, was this when I was in high school? Uh, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I would have been so much more introverted. Yeah, so it, you know, it can help. It can help the the lonely elderly and the the lonely podcast hosts. Oh, <laughs> uh, um, you know. Uh, uh, speaking of te- you know AI that can speak with people, uh, David, also, um, you may have mentioned this earlier a little bit, but I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about o- Ophelia AI. Yeah, she's one of our first AIs, and she basically um, we built. Um, we built her as an experiment to basically prove that we could do it. And um, we've built this, you know, it's very interesting when you're building a conversation cloud, how you want to build it and what you want her personality. We were very focused on personality. And so we used her to put in front of people and we didn't connect her to the internet. So she couldn't answer questions that Siri or Alexa are normally asked to answer. And that, and then we tried to push people down a path where we would get them, we would, we would try to get them to talk to her about things like love and death and hate and artificial intelligence and uh, um, all of those kinds of thoughts and feelings that humans have. So we could build that conversation cloud of, of much more of a character conversation cloud. Right. And uh, I see here on the reimagined.ai website um, that there, uh, that Ophelia were talk to students at the Museum of Human Rights? Yes. 
Wow. Yeah, I was doing I was doing a talk out there and uh, out in um, where, where that was I forget. And uh, and after the talk, I went to talk to about about uh, I went to the Museum of Human Rights to uh, to talk to about uh, 250 kids just do a Q and A. And I introduced them to Ophelia and let the kids talk to her. And it was very interesting. The the the, the questions that they asked her were very very interesting. Um, and she actually gave pretty good answers. Not all the time, but pretty good. Hmm. What were they That's asking? Great. They were asking her about, are you, are you afraid of your own mortality? Um, Little kids uh, were asking that? Yeah. Well, they were, they were, they were uh, probably 12 to 15 or 16. Yeah. Still, that's Very amazing. Interesting, interesting conversations. Yeah. Do you love, uh, you know, all kinds of things like that. Yeah. Wow. Those are all questions yeah. I asked my boyfriend. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, it's, you know, uh, uh, it's nice, you know, because uh, 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 Jeff and I, as well as being uh, podcasters, uh, we also enjoy watching uh, lots of movies. We watch movies together. Uh, and it's nice to see a nice example of AI that, that takes care of its audience instead of so many examples in pop culture and Hollywood of AI that does not that. So, yeah, I was trying to think of like some some good positive AI movies. Her? Um, her, her is well, yeah love her bicentennial man as well her her was amazing for a lot of reasons and for me the biggest impact which is it's so weird the little things that really make something good but there's a lot of movies and shows that take place very slightly in the future and i don't agree with the clothing choices but in her (laughs) everything was like basically normal except for the pants were a little bit too high and it was just like really hit the note, right it on the nose for me. Like, I don't know what it was, but it was like, that does seem like a, you know, 2070 style. It's like pants that just go up to your belly, but not in like a mom jeans way. Like it's so unflattering, but it's just a little touch like that. I thought it was so futuristic. I, I thought the same thing when I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you mentioned Bicentennial Man. Uh, that was uh, the... Robin Williams? Is that right? Yeah, Robin Williams. And actually, it, it made me think um, earlier when we were talking, and I looked it up, and I was like, when we were talking about like rules and regulations around AI, and I was like, well, there's the three laws of robotics. And in my mind, I thought that was a real thing. And then I, when I looked it up, I was like, oh, no, that's, that's science fiction. That's how <laughs> little I know about artificial intelligence. I, it, that's used a lot, though. That's used a lot. To, they, they talk about that a lot. Still. Yeah, and Bicentennial Man, that was like yeah. the whole, it was largely based on Isaac Asimov's uh, yeah. law, Three Laws of Robotics. Which, Daniel, do you know what the Three Laws of Robotics are? Um, it, if I remember correctly, it's kind of similar to the Hippocratic Oath. Sure. Uh, <laughs> you do, no, uh, do no harm. Um, yeah. Yeah, David, help me out. Uh, I don't. I, that's the only one I remember. If that is even one, it's, um, it's like must obey, must obey its master. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh and yeah. It but must obey its master unless it would cause harm to a human. Yes. Yes. Thank you, Will Smith. Yeah. So yeah, first rule number one is a robot may not injure a human being. Or through inaction, allow a human to being to become of to harm. Number two is a robot must obey or, orders given by human beings, except when such orders would conflict with the first law. And the third law is a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. Right. Airtight. No problem. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> David, is there a, a you know, a for for me, I really enjoy her. Sophie enjoys her. Jeff is a Bicentennial Man fan. Uh, <laughs> do you me. have a favorite AI movie that that you can go, yeah, this is pretty close. A favorite AI movie? Not really. I'm I'm living it, you know, so much these days. <laughs> I'm wrapped up in this stuff, man. I, I don't, um, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. That, that makes, that makes perfect sense. Uh, that's why, you know, whenever, uh, uh, every once in a while, I do, I love listening to podcasts, but after being on, uh, after we record a podcast, I'm like, let's watch a YouTube video. Yeah. That, yeah. that tells me what to listen to. 
I feel the same way that like so many people are always recommending podcasts to me. And I was like, I don't, I have to edit our podcast. I listen to podcasts a lot already. Maybe the first season of Westworld is pretty good. <gasps> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Westworld is blew my mind. I haven't seen the original one. I don't know if it's also good, like the original movie. I've seen the original movie. How is it? Um, it's uh, It's of its time. It was fantastic sure. back then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but honestly, that the first season of Westworld, I mean, I honestly didn't even hate the, the second season of Westworld, but the first season of Westworld just absolutely blew my mind. Like it, it raised absolutely. so many, it's so many moral questions. And I mean, that's, I think what started me thinking about, like, if something thinks it's conscious, do you treat it like it's conscious? Yeah. Well, and I think even the second season, not to get in, if if anyone hasn't watched the second season at all, uh, plug your ears right now. Uh, but I won't give it too much away. I think the second season gets even more into the artificial intelligence about it, where you have a machine that is predicting what the outcome of the future is going to be, um, which just hurts my brain. But then the third season just falls into hell. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. That was the third season, wasn't it? Predicting the future feels really scary, but I just saw this thing about this bird that can kind of predict the future. And I know that it sounds like I'm going to talk about like astrology or something, but it's not as real. There's this guy that like studies this one bird and it, they were tracking it and it flies from, you know, somewhere in North America down South every year, but it always flies at a different time. And they were trying to figure out what it was because it wasn't like mating and it wasn't food. It wasn't this, it wasn't that. And they had linked it to hurricane season and they, the birds knew to fly down before hurricane season. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's before, like they do it, they fly before and they, they had matched it up with the birds doing it versus meteorologists and what they were predicting and the meteorologists had predicted that it would not be a big hurricane season, but the birds had flown earlier or whatever is corresponding with it being a bigger a bigger hurricane season. And the first two months, it was very mild. And then in the third month, it was like the biggest four hurricanes we had seen on record or something. So wow. it's like this bird knows something that we don't know. And that blew my mind more than something like AI predicting it because it's like intuition based or something. Yeah. No, every meteorologist has one of those birds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Um, Jeff, that's that. This is why I I love uh, fear of science because every time we do one, I learn something uh, that really hurts my brain. Uh, And I feel that there's been so many of that happening during today's episode oh i just i had one one other funny little anecdote just to throw in that's not super relevant but um i think it was just a ted talk about ai or or something like that but they were talking about um they had programmed this ai to find this one fish and to me ai is all about you know animals apparently but they had programmed (laughs) this ai to to locate this one fish that's really rare and it had done a good job of doing it, but then they looked into it because they had fed it a bunch of pictures of this fish, obviously, to identify it. And the thing that the AI was using to identify this fish were these human fingers under the fish because it's a trophy fish and a lot of the pictures were of someone holding oh. the fish. Oh. Isn't that so funny? Yeah, that's classic. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah it's classic. And then they just kept finding fingers everywhere. <laughs> well it's just they were looking into it like how what they were classified and it's like of course if this fish had a bunch of human fingers under it that would be a specific and that's what they're called they're called classifiers noting. absolutely yeah yeah <laughs> uh, well i you know uh sophie that's a great example of um of you know how far we have come with ai um but how you know there's still some work to be done so, uh, uh, David, uh, you know, to, to help us wrap up this episode, uh, where do you see uh, where do you see AI going uh, with with your work and with your with the community's work? Um, where do you see it uh, being in society in in the near future and the long future? 
I, I mean, I think AI is already everywhere and we just, it's, it's invisible to most people. We just don't see it. Um, but more and more, we're going to start to realize where it exists. And I think, I mean, like, like, you know, it is being used in a lot of great ways. You know, if you look at radiology, those kind of things, um, uh, telemedicine, all those sorts, sorts of things that are being done now, apps that you can talk to your doctor on an app without, without being your doctor, you can talk to an AI. So, so many more people have access to immediate healthcare, those kind of things. These are going to be huge benefits, but the big, the big warning is that, you know, we should get from social media that these things need to be controlled and have some mm-hmm. regulation in there. Right. And Thank also you. medically, it seems like prosthetics have really come a long way thanks to AI because, because of, I mean, I don't really know how it works, but being able to like move your foot, like there was this guy who is a, a mountain climber and he had injured his foot and ankle really bad. And he didn't actually even need to have it amputated, like to live his life, but he wanted to keep mountain climbing. And he got this new thing because he had gone to high school with this guy that is now a tech entrepreneur that had made these new um, prosthetics that react to like they, they do ultrasound in the muscles in the top of the leg so they can see which part they're trying to move. Yeah. So now prosthetics wow. are on a whole other level awesome. because of AI too. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that we were able to wrap it up on a good note. Exactly. I feel like sometimes we do story. some of these episodes <laughs> and we're like, well, everything sucks. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> uh, but, you know, uh, but Jeff, how it is very difficult to uh, uh, end a podcast on, a, on nothing but a positive note when we have two wonderful guests joining us in our virtual studio. And... For our listeners who want to know more about you and your wonderful work, uh, Sophie, where can they learn more about you? Um, David Usher at gmail.com. Just email him and he'll answer any questions. <laughs> Thank you. Wow. Yes, yeah. there, that's the email address. Exactly. <laughs> Just run it by him. Whatever he says, whatever he says is true. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And of course, uh, uh, as always, uh, after you finish listening to, to Fear of Science, head on over and check out Obsessed with Sophie Buttle, a great podcast. And David, for people who want to know more about you and Reimagine AI, where can they find you? Uh, you can go to davidusher.com or reimagine.ai. Thank you. Awesome. And Jeff, uh, after they finish listening to this episode, they want to find us on the internet. Where can they find us? You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and I think that's it, uh, at Science Fears. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I don't need to say what podcast we're on because you're listening to it right now. So, Absolutely. <laughs> uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. We hope that you are all staying well and taking care of each other. Again, my name is Daniel Chai. And I'm Jeff Porter. And we will chat with you again soon. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.